The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Recovery, the Hero's Journey. Your host is Dr. Patricia Halligan. If addiction or prescription drug dependence affects you directly or indirectly, whether it's you, a family member, or a close friend, stay tuned over the next hour as we explore substance use disorders, process addictions, and prescription drug dependence. We'll be discussing the painful reality behind these disorders and what can be done to help. Now, here is Dr. Patricia Halligan. Hi, welcome to Recovery, The Hero's Journey. I'm Patricia Halligan. Today's podcast focuses on the impact that addiction has on the family. I've always thought that we do a very poor job of helping family members heal. The person with the addiction tends to get most of our attention. He might go to residential treatment for 28 days, then he goes to outpatient treatment, group therapy, he attends 12-step meetings, and maybe has a sponsor. But what about the family? And what about the children who grow up in an addicted home? What about their invisible wounds? How can we help the family heal? And how can we help them heal even if the person with the addiction can't or won't recover? Rosemary is our guest of honor today. She's here to help us look at some of these questions and to share her own experience, strength, and hope. Rosemary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Trish. What can you tell us about preparing for this show today? Yeah, it's been it's been interesting for sure. As um, you know, as I uh, kind of looked at the things we topics we were going to talk about, and it's been ten years now since I um, separated and and um, and and sold the house and moved. And uh, looking back. Partly, I'm like, man, I blocked out a lot of stuff. It was a chaotic time. It was, it was, um, it was really just coping. There was a lot of coping. Probably there was a good four or five years of of coping, and um, and I felt guilt. I have to say, I feel I feel some real guilt uh, around my kids. Um, I feel badly uh, that um, I used to prescribe to you know as long as the children have one strong parent they'll be okay you know and mm-hmm. and i think there's some i, I you know I, i'd like to think there's some truth to that but i i wish i could have protected them and I, when i look back and i you know and i see the echoes uh of of the pain that um that they went through and the things they now share that they maybe you know really didn't at the time i'm like man i wish i would have i wish i would have been able to protect them better uh, and the only solace I have is, uh, you know, my Angelo is like, when you know better, you do better. And, and so I've always tried to do that. And um, mm-hmm. I love that and, quote. That's a great, yeah. that's a great quote. And I, and I love what you're saying. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. And it is chaotic, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's and a, you're just a whirlwind. To, yeah, and it's kind of hard to get out of the weeds um, mm-hmm. to even know what what to do and how to manage through it. And you know, the other uh, 
it, and it's all hand in hand in the Al-Anon, you know, a lot of the same um, slogans come up in Al-Anon, but I used to really, I remember my sister giving me a copy of the four agreements uh, by Ruiz and mm-hmm. uh, one of the four agreements is always do your best. And I said, that will vary from day to day uh, depending on how you feel and if you're sick and, and the only thing I think is, you know what, I, actually, I, I really feel like I did my best. I, I did the best I could under the circumstances I was in and trying to navigate, you know, protecting them, making sure they, their lifestyles and their lives didn't change too much and, and managing a, a healthy way through and protecting them as, as best I could, but not realizing they still, they still suffered through it more than I realized. This is this is painful. I appreciate your honesty. Tell us a little bit. How long were you married before you realized that he had a uh, drinking problem? Yeah, um, married at twenty four. Uh, met him at twenty two. Uh, moved country, and um, and we had. I would say, I you know, we had uh, ten pretty happy happy years. I and I, I were maybe even a bit more than that. You know, right around. His 40th birthday, I remember, you know, is even then, I, obviously, I was still really didn't, you know, underlying really when and in hindsight, when conversations we've had, he was he was always drinking and self-medicating some. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it was 40th birthday and we hosted a uh, I hosted a birthday party for him. And people are like, well, what can I bring him? And I'm like, he likes scotch. Bring a bottle of scotch. <laughs> you know, because sure. I didn't. I had. I never saw him drink to excess. He always hit his drinking. I never saw him have more than like maybe a drink after work and a glass of wine with dinner. It was never, he was, he had been probably hiding his drinking his whole life. Uh, and, and I can remember even in the early years, we used to keep, we call, I used to call it the company, the company scotch, you know, back in the day when you'd have You'd have liquor if somebody came and you'd be fancy and you'd give them a, a, a drink. And I'd always go like, where'd this company scotch go? The bottles and we'd be, oh, never mind. We'll get another one. I had no idea that he was draining this and, and just would do it when nobody else was around. So, you know, so then somewhere in the early, early 40s, uh, you know, work got very stressful and, and he was up all hours of the night. But, but and then ter- just miserable. In fact, the kids used to call him um, uh, Tasmania. They called him Tasmanian Devil mm, because and because he would just and it was, he was so Jekyll and Hyde. So he could be mm. he could be uh, kind in the morning, and then by by evening he was just easily enraged mm. and just like mean and cruel and. Uh, and then, you know, and then apologetic the next day. And honestly, it just, which just I had no idea why, had no idea why until, and I, and that's just my own ignorance. I mean, but he just, and I don't feel like, you know, and he would, then he'd change what he drank so you couldn't smell it. And, you although, know, he wore although, a ton of aftershave. Where, where, where's, where's the ignorance though, Rosemary, if you'd been married to this man for 18 years and it never presented itself, the drinking problem. So why would you even suspect? No, right? and I didn't grow up, you know, I didn't grow up in a household that drank. And, and, you know, when I was growing up in the eighties, it was kind of sophisticated. You had dinner parties, you went to fancy things, everybody, everyone drank. And, and so no, I'd never seen him drink. And, but I didn't, 
I mean, I think my kids now have a huge radar for it. Um, and I have a different radar for it. I um, so, you know, I, you can see, you see signs differently now. So I feel like I've, I certainly kind of missed those, but he, yeah, he was hiding and he's smart. He was a really smart guy and he was, wasn't showing his vulnerabilities. He was hiding it. He didn't want anybody to know that he was probably, you know, that this is what he was doing because he's a very prideful. What was it like for you and the kids to live with someone who was like Jekyll and Hyde, uh, like walking on eggshells? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we just avoided him. It was a big house. Uh, and we would just, we would just go to into avoidance, you know, like, you know, then my, you know, and then my, my, Eldest went off to uh, high school. She went away to high school, mm-hmm. and I was happy for because he was super hard on her. I just there was nothing she could do that was right, and she was you know she was just a teenager. She was a little bit rebellious, but just a teenager. And but he was hard on her because she wasn't super sporty. She wasn't into the things he wanted to do, and he just and he didn't. I don't understand girls. I didn't. You know, I only had brothers, and mm. and. Uh, so I was happy, you know, I was like, oh, I'm just happy to get her someplace safe. But right. uh, so away, yeah, away from just, the criticism. Yeah, away from the criticism. Yeah. And uh, just the, you know, it was just one of those, you know, get to leave the table to eat all your dinner and like force feeding people and just crazy, you know, kind of all oh. that. Um, that no, Like there weren't many fun dinners. There weren't many fun dinners, family dinners. It was always something was going to dissolve. It sounds very anxiety producing to me. Uh, yeah. It's just even remembering it. I can what's, feel what's, and what's, fact, the long. Yeah, it was hard. I've, I had a puffer in hindsight. Now, like I went to the doctor and I got a puffer for exercise induced asthma. It wasn't asthma at all. It was just stress. <laughs> the doctor gave me a puffer I because bet. I was having so much trouble breathing. I bet <laughs> I, I can actually feel it in my chest right now, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, sitting around a dinner table and being afraid to make a wrong move or feeling like you're afraid he's going to launch into one of the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And one was a vegetarian and that was not acceptable. And, you know, it's forcing, you know, you've got to eat meat and it's just crazy, uh, crazy making stuff. Right. And then when did it become apparent that it was alcohol? When did you have that aha moment? Yeah. It's like, oh, and, and we're, we're able to name it. This is a drinking problem. Well, it's funny. Uh, the first time it was actually, oh, I had one good friend he uh, who who was on a board with him and he had driven to a board meeting and there was a railroad crossing um before the before the building that they were going to for this board meeting he'd fallen asleep when the train came and this and my friend happened to be in the car behind him and oh, they had to on, on the train cause tracks because he, he well just he was stopped you know stopped for the train to pass and while he was yes. waiting for the train to pass he was drunk and oh, he'd fallen asleep. asleep in the car oh. and this was a pretty big uh, board and so that friend who is uh, he uh, uh, he came to me and said you know shared that and I'm like and even then I was like oh no he's just exhausted <laughs> you know right. he's doing all of this other stuff and he's up yep. all the time he's just exhausted. But, and then, um, you know, so, but, you know, and I thanked him for that. And I went home and I told him, I said, wow, uh, you know, Dave thinks, you know, this is what happened. Oh, no, no, that's not what happened. Uh, and then I had a, another person who worked in the office 
because we were working in a family business. And we worked on the other side of the floor. So I never saw him during the day. We went in different cars. We went home in different cars and I really didn't see him. But somebody who had brought, been brought in the management team when she was leaving uh, said, can we go for a coffee? And she took me for a coffee and she said, my dad was an alcoholic and, and this is what I see. And, uh, and this is what I, and, and unbeknownst to me, and then, you know, he was, had liquor in his desk, he had liquor in the car, and, and other people knew it, but nobody came to me and told me that. And I never saw him during the course of the day, so, and I would, he would be at work till eight or nine o'clock at night, then come home, and, and I, so he just avoided me um, from finding, but then, you know, yeah, until, and so, and I think that's probably when the first intervention happened, and his health, his health started to suffer. He passed out at work. He'd taken a, he had somebody was there to see him and they were like, where is he? And then somebody, I went to look for him and he, he was passed out on the floor of his office. Okay. And so I took him to our friend who was a doctor and ran all the, and this was, these were friends we saw all the time. Mm -hmm. And he's a respirologist and his wife's a nurse. And, and we, uh, and so he ran all these tests and he said, oh, some, you know, it, and it, these were people we saw every other weekend. They had no idea, even when all of his tests came back with, you know, essentially, he said, if I didn't know better, I'd say he had hepatitis because his liver enzymes were so bad. And even then, people didn't believe it. And it's just eventually he couldn't hide any. And then I remember at some point I went and checked in the home office and found in the corner, oh my, like in the corner cupboard. 30 40 empty liquor bags and all these empty scotch bottles from probably from his birthday <laughs> he just had drank them all but okay. he'd never put it into the into the recycling bin so nobody would ever see them so that's and, when the light uh, comes on this yeah, is an alcohol yeah, and then I was problem like, holy crap yeah that's when my you know your heart just sinks you go like okay oh and yeah what about the other two children you have three children mm -hmm. and the first uh, your daughter went away to high school. Yeah. And how yeah. old were the other two uh, at the height of his drinking? Yeah, probably like, God, you know, in their teens. Okay. Uh, the girls were in their teens. And by the time we separated, my youngest was, uh, I think he was around, he was, he was 15. And, but the irony, you know, when I've, the, when I've talked to the kids about it, subsequently they actually don't remember him sober they don't mm. i would say the last eight years uh was in some form of like when they were because they were young uh and i looked back actually recently at a photo when my son was five and i can tell in the picture his dad's junk i can i can see just in his manner, like I can, I can see how his mannerisms are captured in the picture and how he holds his hand and how he was standing. He'd been, he'd, he'd been, he was drunk, but he just, uh, yeah, I just, I was, I was not tuned into it at that point. And how do you think it impacted his, his drinking impacted you? And how do you think his drinking impacted the kids? You know, I, um, what did they see? What did they hear? They, um, you know, they all reacted differently. And, mm -hmm. you know, they've got birth order. and they've, You've got all those things you're going to have anyway. But mm -hmm. the, the eldest, you know, she, 
she kind of went with her friends. She kind of got herself out of there. She, she protected herself. She kind of um, removed herself from it. My middle daughter, she was the fighter and she was the one who would look for the empty, like here, there were at the end, you know, in those last couple of years, there were alcohol bottles stashed everywhere. And so she was like the alcohol police. Uh, mm-hmm. She would catch him or she'd run upstairs and catch, he had liquor, bottle. there'd be liquor in the sock drawer and she'd catch him glugging out of a bottle and he'd still deny it and hide, you know, and try and hide it. Um, and, and I wonder what the impact is on that teenage girl when she says you're drinking again, yeah. and he says, no, I'm not. You're lying. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, um, you know, I'm really grateful that, you know, the, the kids have all sought out some support and some counseling and, and we've talked about it as well. And we've gone to Al-Anon and Alateen meetings. Well, they've gone to Alateen. I've gone to Al-Anon with them. Mm-hmm. They, um, yeah, it's real gaslighting. Um, in particular, my eldest felt that she really, like, she still doesn't always trust her own judgment. And I would, I would say the same thing too. It's like, I would, I would confront him and then, but he was so, such a persuasive person that he would just deny, deny, deny. And I had no proof to back up. And so it's, it's crazy making. It does. It makes you, it it, it makes you feel like you're losing your mind. Yeah. And insecurity, like great insecurity for sure. And And I wonder, and I wonder what look was on his face when she addressed him and she was the truth teller. And she said, Mm enough of the denial, enough of the lies, you're drinking again. And then he said, no, I'm not. I wonder what the look on his face was as he spoke to her. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't really tell you, but I would, I would tell you that uh, it felt like he didn't care. Uh, you know, so I, I wonder I, what was the tone he would use with her? Yeah. I, th- I think uh, uh, brush it off. Yeah. Just brush it off. So pretty uh, dismissive. Dismissive, absolutely. Okay, and how about with you? Um, yeah, dismissive. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, he was never. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say he was violent, except for probably if I, you know, want to grab him, and maybe there. But it was, but he was uh, a lot of name calling, a lot of name calling, a lot of. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was a, you know, every name you can. Night, unnice name you can call a woman <laughs> and, and you know because I was trying to call him on it and for I was doing the classic as well trying you know trying to catch him or where were you what were you doing I'm sure I did all of those things too trying to actually discern like what on earth what is going on, is going and, on? And, and, and and where is my husband and what are you doing mm-hmm. to our family yeah yeah because I was I was certainly angry and uh, angry about it all as well uh, for, for and then we just we, we would just cut a uh, you know we would just cut a wide berth around him you know I I remember my younger son because he's you know younger than the other two when they were the girls were both off at school we just we hung out in the basement it was a family you know we sat and watched TV that poor kid watched more Dancing with the Stars <laughs> oh no <laughs> and Biggest Loser <laughs> you know and, oh dear and we would cuddle you know we'd be under the blanket and cuddle and it was. It was a night, you know, like I, we just, we just tried to um, find some refuge uh, on our own someplace that hopefully he would just stay upstairs and pass out or just wouldn't, we just try not to engage with him, you know, because it was just. So it was your safe place. It was your cave. 
Yeah. And, and you were hiding with, with your yeah. son, your, your youngest, who is your son. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Trying yeah. to avoid his wrath, trying not to yeah. prov- provoke him and trying to stay out of his way. Yeah. And a lot of times, and, and it's funny, just going through this, I, I'd kind of forgotten. I'd two good friends. We, we, my son and I went for dinner at friends places a lot. Oh yeah. Friends had always took us in. Uh, there were weekends when we didn't go home and, you know, so we would, uh, yeah, we would just we would just go hang out, and and they would, you know, if if, if I came home and the situation was bad, I would just get my son and we would leave. And, and did go he go someplace? Thank thank God you had uh, the wherewithal to keep him safe, get him out of the house. Your oldest daughter was out of the house. Yeah, the two were. Yeah, the two girls were kind of out during those last few crazy years. And and what were there any legal? charges did he have any uh arrests or uh driving under the influence he had a uh he had several close calls with that Mm -hmm. happening he had a he had a car accident and he called his um good enabling friend who you know who came he had a car he hit he hit somebody and uh middle of the afternoon and his friend uh, came, he called his friend to come get him. And the police came, but his friend happened to know the police officer and talked him out of it because the other lady, apparently other car, because this, this, this friend knew the situation had said, I think he's been drinking. Oh, no, no. And they, you know, but, you know, this friend looked after him, got him, got him out of that situation. And, and that is another, not helpful. Oh, no, it's not no, helpful. All these, all these no, enablers. No, all these things we did and tolerated for too long actually never helped him in the end it actually would have been better he would have been better off if he was if he faced some consequences for sure again another time he had come he would come to watch my son play hockey we you know we wouldn't include him in any of that we would just go do whatever activities he had we just went and did them but he would show up at the rink and uh, but he would show up drunk and uh, sit you know sit by the boards and watch watch the game and and what was that uh, like for your son? Oh, I think he wasn't super, he was on the ice. He was, you know, he's a, he's still a pretty happy-go-lucky kid. I have to say he still was, he's just my whistler. He just, he's got a really happy disposition. He was just, you know, he's a kid. I don't think he was super aware. He was just playing hockey mm-hmm. and, uh, and he probably could see him there, but I don't think he had that level of consciousness of what was going on because he was so young. But one of the other, when he went to leave or, one of the somebody called the police and so my son and I had come home and then he had uh, his dad had come home and the next thing I knew the police were pounding on the door uh and to you know but but um, he was smart enough that he was already in the house he you know and the police said you've been drinking oh yeah I just came home had a couple drinks and you know so I think he knew he knew enough that they couldn't do anything because he was already home so and at, then after at, at this yeah. point, you feel a little powerless. Yeah. And I just, and I, and I, I, I didn't um, protect him, but I didn't come out and say to the police, you know, I'd never, it's not like I came out and said, you know, cause I was more, I just stayed out of the way with it. It was, that was kind of the first, I've never had any interactions with the police, <laughs> you know, and out them at the door. Right. So I, you know, in hindsight, should I have said them something to them? They wouldn't have had any grounds to charge him, I think, uh, because he wasn't in the moving vehicle at the time. And that happened another 
time as well. The police, he wasn't home, but somebody had reported him someplace else and he'd gone elsewhere and the police were at the door pounding and I'm like, he's not here. Um, so he never got caught. And what, what was the final straw that l- led you to actually leave with the kids? I think it was some of that, uh, that interaction in particular. There was, but there were part of me, I was like, man, if he actually hurts somebody, we'll lose everything. Yes. We'll lose. He's, he's going to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel terrible about it. Uh, you know, you'll never forgive yourself for not having done something about it. And then we, he is going to get sued for everything and we will lose everything. Right. Um, I thought, you know, that was certainly a, a you know, a, a, an awareness of my, you know, cause I'm like, how do I navigate through and find a place to live and do all of this? There was that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there was, and then there, so there was that external fear and then there was an internal fear. He had a gun cabinet in the basement. And he had a bunch of guns, uh, you know, uh, the uh, like hunting guns. And he was he was kind of he was he had a fascination with them, and he would bring them out. And when when my son and I would be in our little you know cuddled up watching something, he would bring the guns out and start cleaning them, and bringing out bullets. And he would sit in the chair by us with all these and, guns. And what was the feeling? And what was going through your mind? But what more importantly, I, what was the feeling uh, of your son and and the feeling you, you know? Had? I uh, I was I was ignorant. I was you know I was annoyed. Frankly, I was just like you know this is ridiculous. It was others who were like. That is, not, you know, it's other friends that I told, they're like, that is nuts and that is unacceptable. And I think mm-hmm. when you've been living through like eight years of shades of gray, like it's just, it's just one more thing. It's just another drip. And so I wasn't yeah. paying enough attention, but I, you know, we wound up having to get somebody to like, I had, I found the locks, I found the combination to the safe. We had to take the guns. They had to be, they were taken to his parents. They were hidden. And it was, and, and we had to get it all out of that, you know, so we're doing all of these crazy things just to try and stay safe in the house. And then it was just, there were too many incidents like that and, and falling, like he would be, he passed out for, you know, literally a week at a time where we would looking to see if he was breathing or not. And, 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 uh, as, and Rosemary, yeah. as you recount the guns trying to lock the guns up so that you and your kids were safe and the, the blue lights flashing blue lights outside your, your house yeah, and know, stepping, right? stepping over the body in the middle of the floor that's passed out for days on end and hiding in the yeah. basement. What's the feeling as you retell this? <laughs> oh my God. Like, Oh my God. How it, it, like, I can't even believe that was my life. I can't the- believe that was I, it feels like it feels like that happened to somebody else. <laughs> so, so a feeling of um, unreality, right? You, yeah. I've known, I've known you for years. You are not a dramatic person. You are a very peace-loving, level-headed person, correct? So, to find yourself for a ten-year period in this chaos yeah. and this craziness. It, it does. It, it feels like you're in a nightmare, right? It does. And, I, you know, and I, I mean, I used to kind of joke with my sister who knew I was going through this. And, I, you know, I, I, I grew up in a reasonably chaotic household. I had two older brothers with schizophrenia and a widowed mother who was trying to manage it. And 
So we lived with a lot of craziness with paranoid schizophrenics in the house. And I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say to my sister, I'm like, oh, my God, I thought I already had my crap. <laughs> I thought I thought we got that. And now, like, now I get easy street, you know, like now nope. life's going to be good. And she said, you know, maybe all those things were just there to help prepare you so that you could manage through uh the difficult things that come along the way because you know it definitely had coping mechanisms but i also probably had too high a tolerance for uh managing through you know my mom was clearly an enabler managing those situations and so like i had grown up like uh tolerating intolerable things that makes a lot of sense doesn't it so yeah you may you may be very slow to identify a situation as abnormal yeah I, I, I think I was, and my family was all on, in another country and, uh, mm. you know, I had lots of friends around, but like I was working in a family business that I was, you know, like I was like, where am I, how am I going to make a living? You know, so anyway, push, you know, push, I mean, this is after three and a half rehabs, push came to shove, even his parents, his dad said to me, you've got to divorce him. Uh, you know, three, three rehabs, right? Three, yeah. three, three treatments that ended in ultimate relapses. Well, yeah, very quickly. Um, you know, light and day, like he was, he, 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 he was a willing participant and mm-hmm. ultimately when he got to those programs and, you know, and he seemed to enjoy them and he, he liked the camaraderie of it and, but he, mm-hmm. and he seemed to have gotten with the program and then immediately relapsed. And did you get hopeful after each program or you'd go to the family program and would you be hopeful? Hey, I'm going to get my husband back and my kids are going to get the fa- their father back. Super, super hopeful. Super and and hopeful. what's it like when the relapse happens? Yeah. Super, super discouraging. Um, I just, it's just like the, uh, the, just the ground falling out from underneath you because he really, you know, I was listening to somebody else talk about uh, their relationship with their spouse on, a, on something the other day. And she said, I was like an orbit around, I was in, the, I was like a planet around his son. And that's how I kind of felt like I was in, I was in that orbit. I wasn't my own orbit. I was in somebody else's orbit. Oh, that's and a I great really, analogy. Yeah. And I thought, and I, I really didn't know how, you know, I had always been the secondary. I'd never had to be the the primary breadwinner. I'd, I'd always worked, mm-hmm. but I, I had never considered myself because I was also managing all the kids. I did all the kids and family stuff. I so I, I, I always kind of, I, I definitely leaned on my spouse to be the, you know, the, the main breadwinner. And so like, I had to really shift, like, who am I going to be? Like, how am I going to, I'm capable of doing this. So I just have to do it. But and then you have to kiss goodbye the dream. I've found someone oh. to, take, to take care of me because you told me your dad died when you were four, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So in walks your husband and he's, he's a star yeah. athlete and he's brilliant and he was successful and yeah. there must've been a dream. Hey, I've finally got somebody to lean into. Oh yeah. I, you know, for sure. He was like, the, he was, you know, he had all the markings of Prince Charming for sure. Yes. He had all of the good family, all right. of that. And yeah, yeah. so I, uh, and yeah. in some respects, I think even not having had a father model because my mom never remarried, you know, I actually never knew what a dad was supposed to do. You know, like I never kind of, 
I, I never missed it because I never had it. You know, I didn't, kn- I didn't know that. And so I, I didn't have great expectations of what that person was going to be like in our family model either. No, that makes yeah. sense. And then, so you had to decide, I'm going to have to learn how to be independent. I'm going to have to separate myself from him. And what was the scariest thing for you about leaving? You know, I, I was thinking about that. I, I think at the time I thought, um, you know, we had a lovely home like, and, the, and we had a lovely lifestyle and, you know, we had all of the outward trappings. And so I thought that was going to be really hard. And, you know, ultimately I had to get a court order um, to get him out of the house so I could sell it because mm-hmm. that was the main asset we had. That was really where all the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the financial security we had was tied up in this house for what it was. And, and eventually he did, you know, his, with his, the help of his parents, he, he did agree to move out. We were able to sell the house. Man, I moved into this little rental for eight months until in town, uh, until we found something else. We were so happy there. Really? Tell, tell <laughs> me about were that. So, you know, I think it was just that sense of we knew exactly what we were going to have when we came home. My friends rallied around. My girlfriend brought her big, you know, expedition. She loaded up stuff for me. I had other friends who like threw me housewarming stuff because my friends all knew at this point, right? Our closest friends had drive had driven him home from places. They had been involved. Some of them had been involved in the intervention. They were huge supports. We you know, we came, you could come home and know exactly what was going to be there. And, and, and for me, it was actually a really, uh, I, I was, hum- it was humbling, which was really, you know, I, I had my own ego issues. It was very humbling. And, but we were never, uh, everybody still talks about my friends are like, man, that was the best house, <laughs> you know, because it was safe. We, it was safe. We had fun. There was just a light there was just a cloud lifted from all over and i i did i thought recently I, I, you know man i bet people felt sorry for me they thought oh poor rosemary look at what's happened to her she's had to move she's into this little house bloody blah, blah and honestly it never that never crossed my mind never we crossed my mind so we glad to so have content. your sanity back yeah and it and it really made i i i felt at the time it it made us me and the kids who became our own little warrior package is like, mm-hmm. you know what, as long as we're together, it really doesn't matter where we are. I uh, like, I like that image of a warrior package. It, you're, you're all bonded. You're trauma bonded. The four of you. Yeah. And yeah. you've, you've lived through a trauma and yeah. you escaped the craziness uh, of addiction and the chaos of addiction. And you chose to live without fear without shame, you were no longer willing to be captive to the addiction. Yeah, no, and I, I didn't hide it from my friends. It was just, once I realized it, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was, we all realized it because my friends were all, who were in our circle, were all equally shocked until they were, until we, you know, in those last couple of years when you're just trying to navigate yourself out and you're in and out of treatment programs, trying to see if that's going to work and giving it a yeah. shot. And so am I to, Mm-hmm. Did it help to break the silence? All of a sudden, people are talking about it, and it's not just me and my son hiding in the basement, and my daughter's not talking about it at, at school. We're, we're, the silence is broken, and people know, and we've given it a name. 
it's true and it's not you know it's and i it's not it wasn't you know and i actually would say to the kids your dad's sick and i really did feel that way i think he's yeah. you know and and i really did you know one of the al anon lessons that i really was was detached with love i you know and, i didn't what cause does that, it what does that mean to you to me, it meant like, you know, I can be happy, I can be content, and I don't have to react and respond to all the craziness of, of my sick individual. I can look at him with compassion and, and not try and fix it and just uh, let him deal with what his fallout is going to be. And, and you know, that uh, the other just for today, just for today, I'm going to get myself through today. I'm going to be as happy as I can. I'm going to do service for others. I'm going to find a way to have some personal growth and, you know, and that was really, and just to look with, I think just to look at it from a a position of, he wasn't a monster. He was just sick. And it's a brain, it's a brain disease. Yeah. He loved his kids. He loved me. And that, you know, and he was super persuasive, which is why we kept, you know, and he could persuade anybody. So I'm like, oh, he's going to do it. You know, he wrote in a Bible. I'm, I promise. I swear. Uh, and he uh, meant it. And he meant he it. He meant it. Absolutely. If you, if you gave him a lie detector test every time he said, I love my wife, I love my kids, I'm going to do it this time. He wasn't lying. No, absolutely. So I, I, so I didn't. I, I didn't feel like a victim. I just felt no. like this is just a shitty situation. <laughs> and, and, and there just got to the point where I have to protect. It was really more about protecting my kids, right? You, you do it for your yes. kids. You know, you become a mother bear. Yes, totally. Uh, and you, no. you don't protect yourself, but you worry about your kids. <laughs> and tell me, how are you and the kids doing now? You know, good. Uh, and, you know, what was really interesting is I, I shared the kind of uh, topics that you and I were going to be talking about tonight with my middle daughter. And, uh, you know, it's, they're, they're, it is ongoing. This, is, this isn't over because uh, 10 years out, like we are all still in recovery. Mm-hmm. We all, because it has shaped our relationships and they're older now. So things have, you know, they've, they've gone their own ways, but there's those harbingers of, of when they're, you know, things that happened when they were young. Um, and I would, I would say they're all doing well, but it was really interesting because my daughter said, you know, I'm not sure how you would answer those questions. What does she think when she, what questions does she think you're going to have trouble answering? And I wonder what, what was behind that statement, right? What, um, I wonder what her, um, what's, um, her belief is here. Well, I think the one in particular was the, um, how are the kids doing today? Um, okay. And I said, I think I would say, because from all outward appearances, they're all doing really well. Yeah. Uh, they've all, uh, you know, two of them have master's degrees. One has a, a you know, has an you know, undergrad and a business and they're all, they are all outwardly uh, successful, appear to be happy um, people, but I would tell you they're all still coping with uh, and going to counseling and coping with the trauma and, and, you know, and how the vulnerabilities it's created all different, but the vulnerabilities that they feel 
in how they handle situations. And so, so this middle, this middle child, your middle daughter, who said it's going to be interesting to see how you answer this, yeah. mom. How am I doing? What do you think her primary wound is? What what wounds did the addiction cause in her? What's her pain under the surface? She's yeah. obviously all your kids are super high functioning, yeah. and intelligent, and survivors. I- I think the biggest takeaway to me is I I need to ask her that. I mean, I could guess at that. And I think more than anything is um, I think she would uh, object to a story that says the kids are, you know, the kids are great because that would probably be my normal would be like, you know, listen, we're all great. You know, I'm engaged. I've, you know, I've had a man, you know, we've had a good relationship for seven years with someone now. And, you know, we're all thriving. You know, I think that's usually what I would say. The kids are thriving. That's usually an expression I would use. And 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 what what would she say about herself, do you think? um, If if you had to guess. Yeah. um, That that, um, she has um, some real scars. I think there's some real uh, uh, um, scars there or Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. I think it sounds like there's some woundedness because I asked you, I remember if she would be interested in coming on the podcast and she had some resistance because she said it would be emotionally upsetting. Yeah. Yeah, So there's, there's pain there, right? Under the surface. Yeah, there's definitely pain there. And they were just at a much younger, vulnerable age. Listen, at least I was in my forties. I'd lived and had some, I had some skills and but, you know, they're all starting trying just to start their lives. And I think, you know, the fact that they still don't have a dad that's there for them. He's around, but he's not there and he's not he's not fulfilling the role he should have played in their lives. It's interesting because you didn't have a dad either. So perhaps yeah. if you ever minimize her not having a dad, it might be yeah. because you don't have a reference point. You've grown up without a dad. Yeah. You've you've never yeah. had a dad. So. Uh, but she might have had one, and then he changed, and then she never had one. And then yeah. he'd go into rehab, and she'd get her hopes up. Was would he treat her well for a while until he sure. relapsed? Yeah, and we went to family week. It was a happy time, you know. We all went down to the family week program. Those were, you know, there was it was there was some normalcy to it, you know. So it's not that like it was like he wasn't the police at the door every day, you know. There were. You know, he would get sober for a month. He did do a lot of, I went to a lot of open Al-Anon meetings or AA meetings rather with him on Sunday nights. You know, we'd, we'd go to the meetings in this, but it was always in a, it was always a ritzy meeting. You know, it was always in the town nearby that was wealthy. <laughs> and they, I remember they used to call them the, um, oh, <laughs> the, uh, oh, it was, they were, wealthy and full of crap is basically what (laughs) (laughs) forget what the expression was now but you know so it's just there was always a there was still he never surrendered you know he was even in the treatment program he went he would always tell people yeah it was all professionals they were all doctors dentists and you know lawyers he would brag about the professionals that were at the treatment program with him i I think (laughs) I think he sounds, um, even when he's sober, he sounds uh, arrogant. Yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. And yeah. I wonder I wonder if he actually can sit with your kids and actually have a conversation about how they're feeling or how his drinking affected them. Or I wonder if he ever did an amends. 
Absolutely not. No, okay. absolutely not. And that's, okay. I think that's the hardest thing. I think that's the hardest piece of the, of being able to find some forgiveness. And then, you know, like they've had to forgive him without ever getting an apology. It's just so that they can let themselves heal. You absolutely. Know, it he, would, he, it would be so validating to hear from a parent. I'm sorry. I put you through all that. And I'm sorry I was missing in action all those years. I'm sorry I devastated you, or I'm sorry that my disease of alcoholism devastated you and hurt you. And I'm sorry that I, you were so disappointed and, and your hopes got dashed every time I relapsed. And you deserved a father that was present and that showed up for you. It would; Those words would oh. be very healing, wouldn't they? hugely no even if they do talk they talk to him rarely and even if they do honestly he just talks about himself the entire time he oh. never asks them virtually anything about themselves so what's the message what's the message yeah. to the child when, when yeah. they have a, a parent who just talks about himself i wonder what the message is what does the kid what's the take-home message yeah he doesn't he doesn't really care about them i'm not important He's, yeah yeah. yeah. So anyway, you know, so though they've got things to cope with and, but I'm, you know, I'm very proud of them that they, they all three of them recognize that. And I, and I, I, but I think there's more, there's room for us to, you know, kind of talk about that more, you know, we would go to these open Al-Anon meetings and then that was a rate. So we would just listen and you know, we just take the kids so we could listen to somebody else's, you know, story and they shared and, but it, it would just generate so much conversation amongst us. And, uh, I think it's amazing that you took your kids to Al-Anon. Yeah, no, I mean, I was I was really grateful for it, and they they were they were really quite content uh, going, and but they were of, of, of they were the right age for it. You know, they weren't too young; they were still around enough that I could gather them all and we could go uh, do that together. I wish I would have done more. I, I wish I would have encouraged more, and I would give them all the books. I bought all the Al-Anon. They all had the Al-Anon books, and they all had the Just for Today's and. Um, and I'd leave the literature all around the house. And, well, uh, you, you but we didn't talk about it enough. I don't think we talked about it enough. Well, you know what? That's the wonderful thing about a parent-child relationship, isn't it? It's not over. No. Uh, it, it continues, right? You're not, yeah. uh, it's not, it's not done. Uh, this is going to go on for decades. And yeah. these, these conversations that haven't been had yet, uh, you can have them in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, I'm, and I will. And, you know, I want to, you know, I kind of want to apologize to them that they had to, you know, tell them I'm sorry, too. I'm sorry that, you know, that I couldn't protect them more than I did. You know, I think they know. I think they, they know I did the best I could. Uh, but, you it's know, a I, love, I, it's a lovely thing that you're that you're thinking to apologize. There's there's you don't lose anything by apologizing and saying, I wish I could have. What does that mean? I wish I could have protected you uh more yeah. what does that I, I mean i wish you couldn't you wouldn't have been uh so hurt you know yeah i wish i could have saved you from some of the pain that you had to go through for sure right but and but, i will i will actually yeah. but you know what though um i'm i'm listening to you and i'm really marveling at how resilient you are how incredibly brave and how incredibly resilient you are and you're tough you don't you you don't turn into an emotional basket case in front of your kids. You were a warrior. Even on the inside, you were probably very frightened and very unsure of what the shore was going to look like across the water. 
but you didn't really let on to the kids. You had, you surrounded yourself with friends. You took them to Al-Anon meetings. You created a happy, fun home in, you know, 1200 square feet for the four of you. Yeah. 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 And you made the best of the situation. You you're a rock and well, the addiction hurt the kids, not, not you and, and not your husband. And you, I mean, they've got, they, basically model themselves after you, you had a therapist and you went to meetings and you talked about it openly with them and with your friends. What a, what a wonderful role model you've been, Rosemary. Oh, well, thank you. No, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I, I did the best I could. And I feel like, you know, like with life's a journey and we will just keep, uh, we'll keep getting stronger. I, I really do think if it doesn't break, it makes you stronger. And I think, they've all come out with different tools from it is, you know, it's their, their weaknesses, but their strengths that they've gained uh, uh, through having to go through this challenge and their youth for sure. There's a quote from Ernest Hemingway and he says, the world breaks everyone. And some of us are stronger at the broken places. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like I think that. That's very true. Do you have a favorite uh, Al-Anon slogan? Um, you know, the one I probably still use with the, uh, the kids, the mouse is this too shall pass, which isn't really, I mean, that's, that's biblical, I think, but there's also, uh, an Alan, Alan on one that I would use and, and how important is it? I mean, there were lots of them I would use. Yeah. Um, how important is it would be one I would use a lot as well. Uh, you know, what I marvel at is you were heartbroken and, uh, afraid and you left anyway and mustered up the courage and strength to parent three children by yourself and make it feel like a, an adventure. These, these kids, sure, they have wounds, but I don't know that you could have done it any differently. I don't know that you could have done it any better. And sometimes, sometimes people go away to rehab and they get clean and sober. This could have, you stayed, you were hopeful, and yep. you certainly gave it everything you had. Yep. Yep. And I would, yeah. And I might have regrets if I hadn't, you know, if I yes. hadn't done those things and then I might regret that. <laughs> so, right. you know, yeah, you do. I, I, I really feel like I did the best I could under the circumstances and, and, uh, you know, we all, I would, we've all, we're all doing okay. And yeah. how, better than how, okay. How, how has this journey changed the way you see yourself? Um, you know, it's, I, I kind the other, the other person, the other self-help person I was really quite into, and I still really like is Brene Brown. And, oh, you know, and, isn't she wonderful? Yeah. I love her and the, uh, her, her talk on vulnerability uh, and really how that is just a, uh, uh, an amazing strength to be able to be vulnerable. And, and I think I've allowed myself to be more of that uh, than I had before. I would say I'm uh, more open, uh, more willing to be vulnerable and to take risk uh, than I was before. Uh, you know, I, I grew up a real pleaser and, uh, you know, and I still make nice most of the time, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm more willing to, uh, to you know tell somebody when that's not something's not working for me and and also to to express myself and be show that side of vulnerability and um i've learned i've grown uh, dramatically i've got 
amazing relationships with friends and that have supported me through this. And, you know, we've all been through a trial of fire. So I, you know, would I look back with, you know, like, would I change anything? I don't know. You know, like I wouldn't, I've got three amazing kids, Would I not have gotten into this relationship. It looked really good from the outside. Right. Even if you told me I would go through like, you know, eight really tough years or 10 really tough years, I've come out the other side and I've had the last 10 have been really pretty great. And, um, and, and basically the story is a woman who used to, or, uh, you know, be the planet that would orbit around his, uh, yeah. son, and you've separated, individuated, and become your own person. And not only your own person, but you're authentic now, right? You feel real. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I actually, yeah, I feel like I'm my own son. <laughs> I am my own. Wow. Yeah, I can that's stand beautiful. on my own two feet. Yeah. Right. That's, that's totally priceless, isn't it? That's invaluable. Yeah. And yeah, I, I really like Claudia Black, and she basically says nobody deserves to operate from a place of fear and shame, and we all deserve far greater options. We need to lose the script that I'm a pleaser and I just orbit around yeah. your son and, and change the script and step outside uh, what we've always done and do something different. And you've done it. I. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And yeah, I, me too. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And last thing before we quit, if there was a, a woman in a relationship with a man who had a severe alcohol use disorder, and he had tried and failed several times, and she felt that his addiction was harming her and her children, any advice? Yeah, I would say get some help. Get get, get some, some help, help and, and find a way to... You know, I, I, I get, get some help. Don't be afraid to seek help to sort out the situation. I, mean, I won't tell anybody what they need to do in that situation, but right. there is such a light on the other side. I, I couldn't have seen how much happier I could have been immediately after removing me and the, my kids from a really unhealthy situation because you can't see it. You can't see it when you're in the middle of it. Get some uh, professional help and yeah. start and break the silence and start yeah, talking absolutely. about the fact that he has a drinking problem. Yeah. That's wonderful yeah. advice. Well, I wish you all the happiness in the world in your up upcoming Thank marriage. You. Thank uh, you. Thank you. And uh, say hello to your beautiful kids for me. I and, will. Uh, Thanks this for is, your time. Uh, and, yeah. My, my pleasure. This is Recovery, the Hero's Journey. And um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us this week. Recovery, The Hero's Journey is broadcast every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. As you wait for our next program, remember, you are definitely not alone.